This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Mike Resnick's The Buntline Special and Mick read Devious Lies by Parker Huntington. Welcome to Bibliovile, a terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here, not walking through our neighborhood to go get me deodorant, but instead trying to not play with our dog, even though he's exhausted after a four-mile walk. But heaven forbid we're allowed to do anything that doesn't involve him. I mean, it's really terrible of us to pay attention to all of the non-Finn things in our lives. We should just stop. Our whole lives should be dedicated to paying attention to Finn. That... Sounds quite appetizing at the moment, so I think we might go for that, because then I wouldn't have to do this uh, dang podcast anymore and read any of these books. During this two-week period of reading Devious Lies, I had to remind Oh, lies are devious! I had to remind Mick on multiple occasions that the podcast was his idea. Yeah, and I have never gotten her devious lies. So this goes down in the Midnight Sins uh, column of Terrible, but we'll save that for later. Susan, you read the Buntline special. Was it about, uh, you know, on-base percentages and a guy who's really good at it? No, it was actually an alternative steampunk history of the Wild West. That sounds like some stupid shit I'd pick for you. And Nick, I have a confession to make. It was some stupid shit? No, I have a confession to make about my reading habits and this book. I didn't just read the Buntline special. I read the whole series. So it is ter- a four-part series, and I have read them all. You were saving that news for a while because you did not even hint towards that. No. What is your hobby life, Susan? Have you not discovered staring through a computer while a YouTube video plays? It's great. I recommend it. No, I haven't. I have started playing more video games. I have started watching more TV. I'm currently watching Pen15, Dancing with the Stars, and The Good Place, and Shit's Creek all at the same time. I just have we a have capacity TVs. for a lot of things. Wow. Okay. I guess I don't then. <laughs> cool. Good no, talk. No, I feel like there were probably about as many pages in all four books as there were in your one book. So. And since I read all of the pages of mine, yeah, it works exactly. Out. It all works out. Yeah. So. So what do you think about it? I kind of read a book and a half. You're because so I read right. Thirty-five percent of mine. Yeah. Which is a book and a half. Of, You're so right. Yeah. Good job. Um, I want to start by reading the titles of the other books that Mike Resnick has written. Stalking the Dragon, Stalking the Unicorn, Stalking the Vampire, Starship Mutiny, Starship Pirate, Starship Mercenary, Starship Rebel, and Starship Flagship. Which Starship I Flagship. Really enjoyed. Um, that sounds like a, something that would be sung, like not sung, but uh, vo- vocoded over a techno song. Starship, flagship, Starship, flagship. So I think that this, from what I am, I'm gleaning from this list, Mike Resnick has dabbled in some sci-fi and some fantasy. This is just a a whole new genre for him with a Wild West tale, but he definitely puts his own spin on it. And I'm going to tell you why I read all four in a minute here, but Mick, first I want... You read them in a minute? (laughs) Mick, first I want you to tell me 
What do the names Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday mean to you? Are these names that you are familiar with? Well, they mean to me that I'll be their Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. Uh, they are some famous old gunslingers who uh, done brought justice to the open range, except when they were also being criminals, because basically everybody with a star on their chest was also a criminal at the time. Correct. So this book, this series is about Doc Holliday. Mm. Val Kilmer himself. I actually, like, I, I, I looked up who had played Doc Holliday in various things. Um, and in my brain, I was envisioning him as, um, oh, God, now I can't think of the guy's name. Sam Elliott. Because I feel oh. like everybody in a cowboy hat, I envision as Sam Elliott. Yeah. Plus but, we watched The Big Lebowski. Yes. Very true. Um, but... Doc Holliday in this is like in his 30s, but he is dying of consumption. Yes. And he... Tombstone, the movie Tombstone. He keeps getting basically asked to do favors uh, by an Indian medicine man named Geronimo. That's not who Geronimo was. Well, I mean, yeah, it's an alternative history. So Mm. all of the historical inaccuracies are fine, right? Might, Might as well have included Aquila. So the reason that I read all four was because I you gave me the Buntline special, which I read. <laughs> Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> Woo, gave her the Buntline special. It was very, it was pretty short. Um, it hey, was what a, are you saying? What are you playing? <laughs> and so I felt like I didn't have quite enough to, to get a full mm-hmm. episode out of after reading the first one. So I looked to see if there were others. And the title of the second book is Doc and the Kid. Um, or the Doctor Wait, and the Wait, that's Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, which is about Doc Holliday encountering Billy the Kid. So then I'll read that. So I read that one. And then that one ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. So I decided to read the next one, which was The Doctor and the Rough Riders, where he meets... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Wow. And then the last one, I felt like I definitely had enough material after reading the first three but I had to read the last one, which is called The Doctor and the Dinosaurs. Was this Magic Treehouse? So, pretty much, yeah. So, um, there we, we meet a lot of historical figures. It's not just Doc Holliday and Geronimo and Wyatt Earp. Thomas Edison is in this, too. For reasons. Uh, the overall premise is of the series... Is he killing an elephant when I see him? <laughs> No, um, he is inventing a bunch of stuff because the overall premise of this series is that the United States wants to reach the Pacific Ocean, manifest mm. destiny, but a group of Native American medicine men is using magic to prevent them from settling past the Mississippi River. Except, you know, for all the settlements that already exist past the Mississippi River, including Tombstone, where this book is set. Some good magic. Yeah. So, like, some people can get across the Mississippi, but for the most part, like, the United States can't expand. It must be the people who are like, I'm 116th Cherokee. Yeah, must be that. Or my great-great-grandmother was an Indian princess. Uh, Does William T. Sherman show up? Because if he does, fuck. If he does, I'm reading these goddamn books. I know. That would be great. Um, there There are some, like, pretty... There's some pretty good humor in this. Um, I would say overall, this series is really well written. Uh, the character of Doc Holliday in particular is really well developed. And you like 
really like him and also get an idea of like his personal philosophy and he's he's funny what his personal um, philosophy kind of sum up as that he's dying so nothing matters mm, like a freed nihilist yeah like someone who's just read some sort of new age uh, he also um and this is apparently true about doc holiday was that he was a dentist so he had a classical education on the east oh, coast yeah. Uh, was a dentist and then started coughing all over all his patients. And so he lost his dental practice and decided to go out west. He's got consumption. And so he, like, in the book, always wants to, like, find somebody to talk about the classics and discuss literature and politics and philosophy. But no one will be his huckleberry. No one will be his huckleberry. I'm your huckleberry. Except for a man named Johnny Ringo, who is another classically educated shootist. Actually. They never call themselves gunslingers. They always call themselves shootists. That's, uh, that's the enemy in the movie Tombstone. Is Johnny Ringo. It is one of the enemies in this book as well, because this is set in Tombstone. Oh, yeah, it is but... about, if it, as much as it is about anything, it is about the gunfight at the OK Corral. I see. Is that no. what happened in Tombstone? I know I enough no to idea. know quotes from that movie, but... Uh, I did not know that was a movie do not until kn- three minutes ago. I do not know my Wild West history, because here's the thing. Most of it's fucking oh, wrong. 100%. So. So that me most of it's probably about as true as these books. <laughs> yeah, more people died fording rivers than died in gunfights. Yes, that or of dysentery. If Oregon oh, Trail has way, taught me anything, <laughs> <laughs> way more people died of dysentery than anything else in human history. Uh, so Thomas Edison and a man named we Ned Buntline, uh, they are scientists and inventors. They are out in Tombstone on the government's behest and the government's dime. To try and find a way to break past the medicine man's medicine men's magic. Medicine's man. Uh, the the Earps, so Wyatt Earp and his brothers. <laughs> oh no. A guy named Bat Masterson and Doc Holliday are there to protect them. All of these people are real people. Yes. Um, how unfortunate to be born into a family and realize that you're gonna be called the Earps. <laughs> the Earps. Yeah. You sound like somebody just like had a bubble as they were talking, like, yeah, we'd really like to welcome the uh, yeah uh this family their names are wyatt virgil and morgan morgan's a girl's name no, what an idiot um the one detail that i do really love is that tombstone's newspaper is called the epitaph which that's i think is good. great that's pretty good <laughs> and i think that is a pretty good like example of the type of humor in this book which i i very much enjoyed uh, so Tom and Ned's inventions include things like electric streetlights. And so Tombstone is one of the only places, definitely the only place west of the Mississippi that is powered by electricity. They've also created a bunch of metal robot women who work at the brothels in Tombstone. Sex bots. Yeah. Gotta have sex bots if you're they, a fantasy writer. They didn't have a shred of clothing between them. They possessed large, perfectly rounded breasts, broad hips, tiny waistlines, and their faces possessed of unblinking eyes and permanently puckered lips. Gross. Yeah, that part's pretty gross. Were they like painted realistically or were they like metal ladies like in that, that three word phrase? Um, I would say they're gonna, more of the second one. More of the just like metal ladies. Gross. Um, We get to know some of them because Doc has an on again off again relationship with a woman named Big Nose Kate or Kate Elder um, who is the madam in charge of one of these brothels that has the, the metal women. Do you know what... Uh... A lot of guys who sleep with the robot uh, hookers are into their beep boobs. Oh, jeez. Um, we have an encounter with Geronimo, and he puts a curse on Bat Masterson, where he actually turns into a bat every night from sunset to sunrise. Very good. 
Um, and then there's a conflict between two of the medicine men and the other one, Hook Nose, reanimates a shootist called Johnny Ringo, who has just been killed, and sends him out to Tombstone to kill Edison. Um, because, if only. Yeah, because they think that Edison's going to be the one to break the United States past Mississippi. Uh, this is how he's described, because he's a zombie. One ear was attached by a few strips of decaying flesh. His gray eyes were dull and lackluster. A white bone peeked through the flesh of his face. He wore what had once been an expensive shirt and coat, but both had been punctured by a dozen or more bullet holes. This sounds like the Primus video for Lee Van Cleef. Ah, yes. Primus and Lee Van Cleef are words that I know. Primus sucks. Everybody knows that. Okay, yeah, I know that. But Lee Van Cleef is a song, and it sounds like this. All the other snacks want to be like that. They all want to be like that. But I want to be like Lee Van Cleef. You know I want to be like Lee. Ah, very nice. I've heard that song before. You have Um, now. (laughs) So Ringo and Holiday, even though they're supposed to, like, kill each other in the end, wind up becoming friends. Uh, because as, as is written, the two most formidable shootists in the West, one alive and one dead, poured themselves another drink and fell to discussing the works of Socrates and Aristotle. Sooner or later, one of us will have to kill the other. But in the meantime, we had a very interesting discussion about literature and philosophy. So he finally like makes a friend that he can talk, like who has also been a classic story. Highly educated. A classic story. He has to kill the one person who understands him. Yes, he does. That's Mm. basically the plot of the first book. Um, well, this got this got feely in the OK Corral. Yeah, the uh, pretty so yeah, good Corral. The OK Corral thing happens, and then Doc Holliday kills Ringo with a special gun that Tom Edison makes for him. <sighs> um, one thing that I did find really funny is that like when they tell the story of the OK the gunfight at the OK Corral, it didn't actually happen at the OK Corral. Oh, yeah, it no. happened in the alley that backs up to the OK Corral. <laughs> And so every time anyone tells the story, like Doc Holliday gets really annoyed and he was like, that's not actually how it happened. It happened in the alley. And then everyone's like, that's not going to sell dime novels. Like it's way easier to call it the gunfight at the OK Corral. And he gets all grumpy about it, which is fun. Um, Yeah. So he has this really contentious relationship with Kate Elder, who's the madam. uh, And they like yell at each other all the time. They act like they hate each other. But she's asked about it at one point. And she says... I don't hate him at all. He's kind of comfortable to have around, like an old, well-worn piece of furniture. And Doc (laughs) says, she makes a good cup of coffee and she doesn't hog the bed. And Higgins says, not exactly the stuff of romantic stories. And then uh, Doc says, never confuse romantic stories with real relationships. I'm an, which is good advice. But then he follows it up with, I'm an alcoholic gunfighter with consumption. She's a whore who's been run out of half a dozen towns. Who else would have us? What is who is narrating this? Is this an omnipresent narrator or is this? It's an omnipresent narrator, but it most closely follows Doc Holliday. Oh yeah, he's the he's the so, okay. he's the protagonist. Yeah. Um, and his philosophy boils down to this quote: "To be frightened in the gunfight, you've got to be afraid of dying. I'm already dying. It's just a matter of dying fast or dying slow." So he credits that to being why he's so good at shooting. Why he's so many people's huckleberry. Yeah, I'm your huckleberry. Um, because he is dying anyway. Like, he knows that he doesn't have that much longer left, and so it's not a big deal if someone kills him sooner than the consumption will because the consumption is already killing him. Um, so, yeah. They're, uh, that's book one. So the Earps and Doc Holliday defeat the McLaurys and the McLa- and the Clantons at the OK Corral. 
Doc works with a different medicine man to reverse the curse on Bat Masterson. Doc kills Johnny Ringo, and Hooknose is set back for now. So then book two, we meet Billy the Kid. Um, I'm trying to even decide what all of this is relevant based on what winds up happening later in the series. Uh, basically, Doc kills Billy the Kid, and they help Geronimo with something, and then Geronimo kills Hooknose, who's like the main medicine man that they're fighting against i thought that billy the kid was killed by the coward something 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 uh pat garrett so doc kills him but gives the credit to pat garrett um doc gets the money for the reward but pat garrett gets the credit and sells a book about his experience killing killing billy the kid uh then in book three we meet teddy roosevelt Hell yeah. Because Geronimo agrees to lift the veil, preventing the United States from expanding past the Mississippi, but he only wants to work with Roosevelt. Uh, that so doesn't sound right at all. go against a giant magic man made of fire called the Warbonnet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Then they, of... then they defeat the Warbonnet with special weapons that Thomas Edison made. I, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Um, yeah, then book four is where shit gets off the rails, because book four is called The Doctor and the Dinosaurs. I was gonna say, shit has not been off the rails yet. So, in the beginning of book four, Doc Holliday is in a sanitarium in Denver, dying. He is like, this is the day that he is going to die. And Geronimo shows up in his room. Jumps out of a plane. basically says... Um, that he will give Holiday one year of health in exchange for Holiday stopping these two archaeologists, Cope and Marsh, who are digging in sacred Comanche Comanche, Comanche burial ground. Um, and the Comanche have threatened to resurrect the dinosaurs and bring them back to life if these two guys don't stop. So we get to see a real T-Rex. He gets to go up against a Velociraptor and a Pteranodon. Um, now, is this Velociraptor two and a half feet tall and runs around like a chicken mostly? The Velociraptor actually is, yes. They talk oh, about that funny. one being really small and then the rest of them like <laughs> super massive. <laughs> Good. Um, and then they can't convince the two archaeologists to leave. So what they do is Doc Holliday goes and finds the Comanche medicine man and convinces him to turn all of the dinosaur fossils into dust. So that the archaeologists will eventually leave because they're not finding anything anymore. Yeah, and then the creation Creationist Museum makes more to try and trick people. <laughs> That's exactly how it happens. Um, so overall, honestly, a lot of fun. I um, can tell. That was actually, as long as it's even halfway well written, that sounds like a good time. The thing that made me most nervous was like, this is going to be hella racist against Native Americans. And there are some moments, but for the most part... Um, Several of our characters, including Teddy Roosevelt, Doc Holliday, and Thomas Edison, shoot like shoot that down. Um, like someone references scalping, and Teddy Roosevelt is like, "No Western Indian takes scalps." And the one or two tribes that did it, none of them do it anymore. Yeah. Actually, learned it from the French, and so yes. like shoots down some of that kind of stuff. There's a couple of other. I think it's that thing where you're like, well, this time period, people were problematic so we have to make this book kind of problematic to make it fit the time period <laughs> which like you don't actually especially because um, thomas edison is inventing laser guns apparently it is like it did actually happen that like doc holiday used to be friends with wyatt earp wyatt yeah. earp married a jewish woman 
And Doc Holliday, while he was super drunk, said something derogatory to her and they never spoke again. And so, like, <laughs> that is written into the book. Oof. Uh, and I'm actually not going to read it because it's pretty oh. bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the specific thing that he said in the book is, like, actually true, but it's, it's pretty bad. So there there are definitely some problematic things in this book, but overall, like, the... I think it was done to try to capture some things that actually happened and to try to be, like, I guess historically accurate, no, which is I, not a good excuse, but that's why it was in there. I think if it's being written as this is a shitty thing to do, it's okay to have problematic characters in your book. Yeah, that's fair. Like, the Great Gatsby laughs at Tom when he's talking about eugenics, basically, yeah, right? Because yeah. he's supposed to be a shitty guy. So fair. it's a, it's like... He... Doesn't mean I have to read him on the podcast. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> don't quote them. That's completely fine. But don't yeah. think that everybody in your books has to be nice. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, overall, actually, like, a really fun series to read. They were really quick. Um, yeah, it, I wound up really, really liking Doc Holliday, the main character. It was a lot of fun to read. I enjoyed it. Nice. So I got a question for you, Susan. Would is you that question, why? No, that, this question is, would you rather just turn off the podcast right now and then go watch that movie Tombstone that I've never actually seen before? I mean, I do kind of want to watch the movie All Tombstone, right. but... My I mean, name you is should... Mick Dickinson. You can find me at Twitter at Dickima. You sure you want to keep going? And that's up to you, my friend. You're the one who has the stuff to share. All right. You brought this on yourself. Okay. When he leaned back, it wasn't a faceless avatar I saw, but a pitch black hair and cruel hazel eyes. Nash. Pathetic, he drawled out, tracing my collarbone with the tips of his fingers. I panted. Needy. Desperate. Craving him. Wetter. He flicked my nose and tutted. You don't come before Why I do. Her nose? Nash was straddling me, a leg on each side, not bothering to hold up his weight. He pulled himself out of his jeans and jerked off onto my chest. He was as long as I remembered him, thick Ew. with two veins as I yearned to lick, running down the sides of his cock. Long ropes of cum shot onto my face and breasts, and I came with him, crying out his name as if I owned it. Nash! I screamed it out like I had been in a nightmare. When I opened my eyes, I laid alone in the closet. Dark. Empty. Heaving for breaths. No Nash. Just me and a brand new stain on my tattered sheets between my legs. That's really gross. Why is she sleeping in a closet? Welcome to my book report on Devious Lies by Parker Huntington, or as I like to call him, Hunter Parkington. <laughs> this is a Midnight Sins level threat alert. We are at threat alert level Midnight Sins. Oh, no. It is, like, imagine if Midnight Sins could technically be readable without getting any better. Like, Midnight Sins was the impossible book, and it remains supreme in the impossibility of the book. Like, yes. it, it was... Impo like paragraphs would just go by without understanding anything that was said in them. It was it it cannot be beaten. But imagine that Midnight Sins got edited once. I actually we normally don't do this. We normally are very close, like keep our books very close to the chest. But Mick read some passages of this out loud to me because he had so many notes that he knew certain things just weren't going to make it in. I don't think, based on what I've heard, I do not think this book was edited. It's Kindle. It was uh, like a Kindle free book or cheap book no, or whatever. No, it was not free. But it was like, could this have been published without going through Possibly. any editing process because at all? It's like 700 pages long. It is 705 pages long, I'm told. 
the the author themselves uh, says it was quote written in a flash and. I can believe it. Yeah. Several passages have the same phrase twice. Like, I stopped in to shower here every morning, but this time the gym was closed, so I couldn't stop in to shower. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It's awful. There's a, a bad boy that we're introduced. His name is Nash, and he, of course, wears a... Stetson. No. Modern day. A leather jacket. A leather jacket, of course. Uh, we arrive to see him sneaking into some big house, and he steals a ledger. He steals this ledger, and then hears the big bad boss of this company that runs North Carolina or whatever, saying, as long as there's no evidence of embezzlement. Great criminal dialogue. I love how people just discuss, hey, do you know all those crimes we've done? Yeah. Let's make sure no one catches us doing crimes. Hammond will very loudly remind you that no one should... No one should find out about our crimes. I also love the idea that stealing a single ledger can prove embezzlement, as if there's going to be like an entry for amount embezzled, yeah. 7.2 million per month or whatever, right? <laughs> so this dude goes around the rich town that he lives in, except he's the poor bad boy whose parents work for the rich, good, bad, big boss guy, and he fucks the rich sluts, and... Then we're introduced to his kid brother, Reed, and his... Uh, girlfriend at the time, Basil, and the girl who's obviously in love with the kid brother, Reed, name of Emery, as in the board, as in filing off any identifying factors. <laughs> she is obviously, from moment one, from the time she is introduced, she is obviously the main interest in this book that I have not read yet, despite the 10-year age difference of her being 15 and him being 25. Do not worry, they don't have sex yet. They do later, but what in a book like this would identify her as the main love interest, Susan? Um, she's clumsy. Oh, good guess. Pretty close. Uh, she's madly in love with him for no reason. The the kid brother, yes, yeah. not the big brother. Yeah. Um, what else would identify her as? I want you to think. This is basically you know how Fifty Shades of Grey started as fan fiction of. Twilight? Yes. By Snow Queen's Ice Dragon? Yep. This is what this is like a game of telephone where somebody made fan fiction of Fifty Shades of Grey and then published it their own book. So like Bo Sheen's Schmeiss Dragon. Snow Queen's Ice Dragon was E.L. James's. Yes, 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 I know right. that. Okay. So think about what's a Twilight telephone game thing going to use to identify that this woman is important and she's a love interest. When I say it, you're gonna you're gonna flip because you, you should have thought of it. She has two different colored eyes. Oh, I should have known. One of them. Is I was a, thinking. Of, I was gonna ask if like, does she have violet eyes? Not her? purple. So of course the other one is gold. No, it's gray. Oh, gray. Okay, gold is also definitely a trope. They all have gold flecks in their eyes. Uh, What's the other one? Gray and what else? Blue. Lame. Uh, yeah, so this book is really terrible, and I'm not going to get even to half my quotes. Even though I only made it to 35% of the way through, I could not do it anymore because it was going fucking nowhere, and you saw me read, like, uh, I'll get to it at the end, but you saw me. I put work into this. It, this wasn't a half-assed endeavor. Mm -hmm. I tried, and I read a lot, and it turns out that this book is 702 fucking pages long, and each one of them is terrible. <laughs> 
Uh, we think we're very clever. Uh, if Gideon Winthrop was the head of Winthrop Textiles, Virginia Winthrop was the neck, moving the head whichever direction she pleased. There's a lot of shitty metaphor in here that and, thinks it's very clever. And also making, like, having a metaphor and then explaining the metaphor. Like, you can just say, he's the head, she's the neck. You don't have to explain moving the head and whatever. Like, that's the whole point of calling him the head and her the neck. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, she, Emery is asked by her overly, like, her comic book evil mother to go get a safe during this cotillion mm-hmm. that opens the uh, thing. And she, of course, says, uh, take tonight, for example. Emery is now talking. It switches back and forth as shitty books are wont to do. Cotillions presented debutantes to society, but we've all lived in this town since birth. A cotillion was no more useful to us than a stack of sequential hundreds. Listen, it's criminals that can't have sequential hundreds. Yeah. If I go to the bank for $100 bills, they're going to give me sequential hundreds. Yeah. That's why you can't have it. Because it, that's a criminal. Oh my God, that made me so mad. It's all this stuff about like, that's the point. And so she goes to get this from the safe and her date to this cotillion comes with her. And of course, in order to establish some sort of uh, vulnerability and like for the character, how better to do this in a shitty book but some sort of sexual assault. Oh, good. But good news, she's a fighter. Unlike other people who have apparently been sexually assaulted. So she knees him in the balls. Just do that. Yeah, just do that. No big deal. Then... Makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Then, uh, oh yeah, she is, uh, let me get an, oh, he, this guy she goes with, uh, take, like, grabs bourbon off of her dad's shelf and takes, like, drinks half of it. Which, half first of, of all, a bottle? Half of a bottle. Which, first of all, a high school kid is not going to gravitate towards the bourbon in any sort of, no. like, meaningful way. Secondly, he is then immediately drunk. Or like, immediately passed out. That's a lot of heavy alcohol in your system. That very into. heavy alcohol. I also, like, unless you are a very experienced drinker, drinking whiskey straight doesn't really happen. No. Not, like, let alone half a bottle of it straight out of the bottle. It is absolutely terrible. Uh, she is uh, opening the safe, and it's a whole thing. She's... Wants to sleep with Reed, she thinks, and so the girlfriend of Reed, Basil, good fucking name, uh, has her hand on Reed's thigh. The image of Basil, Basil's fingers clenched around Reed's thigh burned my mind. Not burned in my mind. Yeah. Burned my mind. Bleh. We'd been eating soup. Who mauled someone's thigh while eating chilled fennel soup? Not the kind of psychopath I should leave alone with my best friend. Okay. What? what dish is acceptable to maul someone's thigh yeah. to? Chicken a la king? Beef wellington? <laughs> what is the soup that it's like, okay, I get it. It was chili con carne. That's some hot stuff. So mm-hmm. he, she needs the, the, needs the support. It's fucking terrible. So, oh yes, this book has the worst. You know what? I've complained about this before. But the worst I forget what real life is timing. Yeah. Where three pages have gone by, now that something else can happen. It's like, yeah, but three pages of nothing have happened. Like, it's been 15 seconds. There's been three rounds of combat. That's 18 seconds. You can't have a... I'm getting a D&D again. (sighs) 
Would it make you feel better to look behind you and see that our dog is asleep with his butt hanging halfway off of the bed? It's yeah, funny. Yeah, I, I saw that when you were talking. <laughs> so she gets assaulted uh, by this guy alone. It's a very scary event. Extraordinarily scary. Extraordinarily scarring. Uh, she kicks him in the balls and runs away. And this is how it is pitched. She's running, toppling the desk chair over him and lifting the hem of my tattered dress as high as I could. I took off into a sprint toward the hallway, barely making out, making it a foot out the door before I crashed into something rock solid. Emery, only you, I chided. Yeah, we get it. Would escape a near rape and run into a wall. I grabbed whatever I could to steady myself. Guanashina fabric, whatever the fuck that is, slipped through my palms before my fingers latched onto it, digging slightly into the owner of the suit. Easy, tiger. That's dialogue. Relief flooded my limbs at the sound of Nash's voice. You went three paragraphs without seeing this is a person that I know? Yeah. Later, it's going to come up again. Uh, I took my time stitching the image of him together. Remember, this is a woman who has just escaped from a near sexual, well, not a near sexual assault, a sexual assault Mm -hmm. and near, like, rape. Nash Prescott was a thrift shop beauty, threadbare and jaded, the memory of something once beautiful lingering as he looked onto the world with war-torn eyes. His the contempt moment for Eastridge after a traumatic face, situation is not the time for this kind of introduction to one of Eastridge our characters. Him, the dead eyes and the self-assured sneer, the sheer masculinity that clung to him like an expensive cologne. But when I stared at him, I saw something sad, a priceless shirt with a stain on the front. I meant it as a compliment. There was something arresting about someone who regarded the world world for what it was even if he couldn't see that beauty he saw the truth and because the truth was layered with ugly and flaws i struggled to look at him most times and yet and my most vulnerable i suddenly caught tunnel vision for him (laughs) (laughs) she then goes home definitely the inner monologue you're gonna have after escaping a traumatic situation yeah so she's got a torn dress that she's basically like holding around her like a towel that won't yeah. stay closed. And she goes off somewhere to get changed. Reed and Nash, and apparently there's probably going to be some sort of, uh, you know, twist reveal about what happened in this room because it cuts away. But it's implied they, that Nash beat him up. But it was maybe Reed because he's the one that liked Emery at the time or whatever. And then it cuts to her and Reed in a room. And you know how she's getting over this trauma? Not sleeping with him. That would have been even worse. Yeah, I, I was hoping it wasn't going to yeah. go there. She is making custom t-shirts. That's her stress relief. What a quirky teenager. Oh my gosh, what a weirdo. And yeah, oh, she's a weirdo. She, of course, wears on her feet Chuck Taylor's. Uh, the shoes of weirdo, quirky, weird girls everywhere. Yes, so unique and quirky, those Converse All-Stars. Uh, his eyes light up with, oh, no, sorry. Now that he sees what's happening, the guy with his pants around his ankles, blatant wrath. What? Blatant wrath shifted Nash's hazel eyes from golden brown to Um, green. Of course, they're golden brown. This isn't even like a a brightening, like there's a tension in them now. Yeah. A tension. This is a completely different fucking color. (laughs) Golden brown to green is not like I saw them in a different way. This is a different spot on the color wheel. That doesn't fucking happen. his eyes are like a mood ring. Mm. Uh, So Emery, or not Emery, she's the lady. Nash is like the bad boy of the town, but also completely loved by everyone but also he keeps getting in fights but also he has a way of getting what he wants without any sort of threat but also 
Right. So it's almost like she wanted him to be the golden child and the bad boy. Oh, yeah. You don't even couldn't know. couldn't decide. Uh, I, so Emery's fucking stupid uh, thing is that she knows a lot of uh, words and just says them to herself. And they're like the obscure words. She looks up obscure words and has, I've got a pretty sizable vocabulary. Yeah. They're just like. Do you know what it's called when you listen to a piece of music that gives you goosebumps? It's called frisson. Ah, oh, yes. And it's called this because Reddit made it up. Mm. And so it's a bunch of words like that that are not used ever in any language, but it's like, oh, someone on the internet made a dictionary definition for it. Yeah. So now it's a word. And it's like, to be fair, that's how language does yeah. in fact work. But it's not like, you're not smarter for knowing these things. You're just particularly online. Yeah. Bolt is a contronym, a word that is opposite itself. If you bolt something, you hold it together. If you bolt, you separate by fleeing. This comes after the separate, the the sort of section change, in which case... Oh my gosh, we get a definition for the word bolt. Definition number one, to hold together. Definition number two, to separate by fleeing. Thank you for defining the word bolt twice. Actually, four times, specifically. It's like someone thought of it and were like, I'm the, I'm the most clever person alive. <laughs> Guess what starts happening, as is want to happen in a Midnight Sins book? Uh, someone falls in love with someone they shouldn't be falling in love oh, with. Oh, that's every book. This is a Midnight Sinsian book. Now that we've established there are two characters, we start getting... Time skips. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. I love a good time skip. First time skip is three-ish years, question mark? Because So now she's 18. Because in the... Well, yes. Because it gives their ages the second time. Uh, by the way, we get a section break to define Bolt and then get several paragraphs about what Bolt is and then another chapter. <laughs> at chapter five, it describes... That's why this is 702 pages. Yeah, well, at chapter five, Emery is labeled as 18 and Nash as 28. I had to guess it was three-ish years later because there is no corresponding ages given at the beginning of the book. Well, didn't it say that she was 15? No, I said she was 15 from uh, going backwards. Yes. Uh, She makes up words. She cites words as stress relief. She gets a text from Rhi that he has broken up with Basil. She apparently just sort of leaves the house in a robe and her underwear, goes across a certain amount of place, uh, enters the other r- house that Reed lives in, walks into the room, takes off her dress or takes off her robe and begins getting into bed with him. She thinks nothing of the fact that the man in the bed is asleep, despite having a text 15 minutes ago that says, I just broke up with my girlfriend. He would probably be awake, s- still be awake and excited about this lady coming over. And it's, very clear. Oh, she can't tell it's not him, despite the fact that they've been best friends, have slept in the same bed multiple times, has been her crush for years. She can't tell it's not him, it's it's Nash. And then he wakes up and starts talking to her, and she still can't tell it's a 28-year-old man instead of her 18-year-old best friend. Then they have sex, and she calls out Reed's name right as she's coming. And he stops for a split second, then he comes to... And then he flicks on the lights. <gasps> you can still... Just because the lights are off does not mean that you just have no idea who people are. 
Yeah. That's insane. Uh, of course, she is runway model skinny, but she's got big titties. Oh, naturally. Uh, like the metal robot ladies. Yes. Guess what happens once they have an argument and his big old flopping dick is... She puts a robe on while still being on top of him, by the way, for some reason. Um, and then she gets off and he wipes his cum on a pillow. Like his dick, he wipes it on the pillow. Gross. Like Kleenex, sink... I could even understand if he's supposed to be the bad boy. The sheets. Yeah. But the fucking pillow? The place where you put your face? That's what you chose? You took it down from your head and then wiped it on your dick and then put it back? What the fuck is that? I know I'm swearing a lot, but this is this book. It's his brother's bed. Hey, bro, wipe my dick on your face pillow. <laughs> Guess what happens after that? Uh, more time sex. S- no, time skip. Time skip. <laughs> I got to chapter seven. I'm only 11% of the way bo- through the book. Oh, no. Uh, it is... Uh, oh, yeah. Chapter seven is the uh, where the book takes its turn. Emery, 20. Nash, 30. Eastridge, daily. Several paragraphs of the worst impression of a newspaper ever. Headline, on the anniversary of the Winthrop scandal, We Remember Victims by Aaron Bishop. We remember the sirens, the surprise FBI-SEC joint raid, the rumors spreading like wildfire across Eastridge, Gideon Winthrop, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to write a... I write a newspaper article the same way I write my books, in basically nothing paragraphs. (laughs) We remember those who fell homeless after losing their jobs. We remember the elderly who have continued to work past retirement age. That's happening all over the country. I'm sorry to tell you, bud. We remember the children who went hungry. We remember Hank Prescott, (gasps) dad of Nash and Reed. Oh, no. I was made to figure out through context clues. Who died of a heart attack working three jobs to provide for his family after losing not only his job, but also the life savings he invested in Winthrop Textiles. I am in, uh, fuck, I always forget this word when it's time to use it. When you explain something, not exhibition. Exposition. Exposition. I am an exposition article. We remember this other guy who died. Gideon Winthrop may have fled East Ridge, North Carolina, and no charges have been pressed, but we remember. I am a newspaper reporter. Comments. Mary Sue, Derek Klein, Beth Ann, Joshua Smith, Ashley Johnson, Haley Clark, Demi Wilson, and Bruce Davey have a small argument as if this was a website. Next page. Time skip. No! (laughs) Why couldn't it have just been a newspaper article at a later anniversary? Yeah. Why did it, it wasn't in, in the moment when it happened, but it wasn't uh, in the time that you want to talk about. Why? Why? Two years later. Why? Uh, uh, at one point, Emery is so sad, she is going to rub as if a muscle is sore over her heart. Hmm. Uh, Nash is now very better. rich. He has a hotel chain. Cool. Uh, and Must she, have been all she, that uh, generational wealth from his dad who yeah. worked three jobs. She is getting a uh, internship. She's basically jobless and poor and is like refuses to take the, the trust fund she's given because she doesn't trust her family anymore. And she didn't want that dirty money. And so she went to some college while Reed went to Duke along with Basil. And she's on her own. And now her hair is black and she's starving. She's really skinny because she won't touch the money. 
So principled. Which, which brings us to the point that will become uh, more important later in the 35% I've read. <laughs> and that is the fact that this author is like, I'm going to make my characters the worst possible fucking people in yeah. the world. But then every once in a while, I will make them do uh, local news uh, human interest piece stories and then m- pretend that that makes them good people. So I'm going to make a man, Nash, uh, get his money through insider trading fraud, the same guy who hates the Winthrops for their fraud, Yeah. who hates rich people always holding it over poor people. I'm going to make this guy in front of the private eye detective who saved him as a kid because he got in fights, which I'll get to why oh, I stopped reading God. this book. In front of the private eye who used to be a cop, who he has hired to try and find, Gideon Winthrop, the man who embezzled, supposedly, but I'm willing to bet didn't actually, because he's supposed like, whatever, I bet it was the mom. In front of him. It's always the mom. The P.I., who is dying of cancer. Okay. And is wearing a wig and jeans and is often made fun of by our main character for looking gay. Oh. He is going to take $10,000 in cash and throw it in the fire because this man has made him slightly angry, just as a power move. But he's a good guy. He's a poor kid at heart. Ten thousand fucking dollars? You don't think that that would make a difference literally anywhere? Yeah. And you threw it in the goddamn fire, and because you work at a soup kitchen, I'm supposed to think you're a good person? Oh! Made this very mad. Made me very That was why you stopped reading the book? No. (laughs) I continue. (laughs) I want everyone to appreciate my joie de vivre. Yes, you did a very good job continuing to read this terrible, terrible book. What are we doing? Where am, where am I even looking? Oh, in four years, she grew from a Karen cut to hair down to her waist. She is working with the design, but she has to work catering because she's model looking good and they needed someone to support because they always hire the models to do this. Um... She wears chucks even in the gala. She's wearing a dress she sewed made out of cur- made out of curtain fabric, and she looks drop-dead sexy in it. She walks out of mm-hmm. the party she's in three times uh, because this book did not have an editor. She walks yeah. out, meets someone, walks out, talks to them, and then walks past Nash on the way out. <laughs> uh, then, no one read this before it was published. No. Then she enters a... Uh, Oh, I don't even have. She walks to a, uh, I can't, I don't think I took it as a quote. She walks to the the elevator and looking down at her phone after this hard day, she runs to the elevator to people who did not hold the door open. There's a man and a woman and she runs in there and she looks at her phone and she, some guy says something to her and she looks at her phone and isn't looking anywhere else. And then there's a woman in there and she doesn't look at them. And then the woman gets off and she doesn't look. And then the elevator kind of jumbles around and she doesn't look at the person. And then she's about to look at the person and the lights go out. She spent probably 50, 55 seconds in that elevator talking to someone. Yeah. And did not, without looking at them or noticing who they were. It was Nash. The power went out. Then they do that shitty thing that people think is hot where they hate each other a lot. And they're like, you're a fucking terrible person. My dick is rock hard right now. Like, ugh. They do that in the dark, except he can see, but she can't? Well, yeah, because apparently she's incapable of knowing who she's sleeping with in the dark. Yeah, and incapable of looking at anything. He can see that it's her. She doesn't know that it's him, despite the fact that they're in the same fucking elevator. So then why are they yelling at each other? 
Well, it's because she doesn't know it's him and he's being intentionally antagonistic because uh, he thinks it's funny because that's what good people do. Yeah, totally what good people do. Uh, oh, yeah. So there's an app for the survivors of the uh, Winthrop scandal mm. that Nash himself started. And Emery has a pen pal. And that pen pal is, of course... Nash. Nash. Everyone knew that at the very beginning. And the book forgets to say it and just sort of has it happening where they're talking to each other. Uh, Nash has some painkillers. Uh, I said 50-50, he's addicted. Sob plot or all those dang fights, which I'm going to get back to. Apparently, it's the next morning. It never says. Uh, let's see here. The clock in the open plan. Oh, he... Uh, uh, oh, never mind. The clock in the open plan kitchen read eight in the morning exactly. This spread hadn't been to feed me. He gets a cart. It had been to wake me up with an extra side of fuck you. Delilah Lowell thrived on passive-aggressive bullshit. Break... I should start doing paragraph breaks. Breakfast screamed. Wake the fuck up. Paragraph break. Lunch is doubled as a reminder not to pile any more lawsuits onto her plate. Paragraph break. Dinner cemented the fact that I'd be flat what? out broken, most likely dead if she didn't exist to put out my fires and occasionally feed me. Paragraph break. I never bothered with dessert. Learned my lesson the first time when she brought her rat and asked me to pet sit the monster. Parenthetical. What? Roscoe and I do not and will never get along. Ro paragraph break. Roscoe is a dog. Like a one of those, you know rat dogs that the author feels inclined to tell us from nash's perspective is a rat no less than 20 times in one chapter he keeps saying i looked at the rat i hated it it looked like a rat like that sort of stuff just over and over and over again why was any of that necessary like was any of that relevant to character oh. building world building or plot i don't even know who delilah winthrop is, or delilah whatever the hell her name was presumably his chef no, is his lawyer. What? Yeah. Man, I gotta say, bud, this was a rough one. I'm sorry. Uh, sh the word spat out like a curse. She edged herself onto me. Not edging herself onto me. Edging herself onto my phone. Fucking good writing, bud. Fucking good writing. She it's did a good this, book. But not this. She did a different this. thing I didn't say. Uh, he, uh, kicks the guy who brought the food out of his house, or out of his hotel room. Pressing the return button, I spared the guy feelings of inadequacy at the sight of my dick and stepped in the ensuite bathroom. Cool. Definitely sounds like you're not compensating for something. Uh, he's also wearing boxers, which I don't know if you know a lot about boxers, but the point of boxers is that you can't really see the dick. Like, they're really friggin' loose. If he's yeah. in briefs, yeah, I get it. Like an apple and a couple, or a couple pears and a banana or whatever, right? <laughs> But like, no, he's wearing boxers. It's the whole point of boxers is that they're basically just gym shorts. Uh, nobody drinks the night before when they get stuck in the elevator. Both of them wake up with a hangover. Maybe it's just a love hangover. Maybe it's a shitty writer who forgot what the fuck she wrote. I assume. Yeah. Um, he goes to take a shower. He enters back into his suite. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine a hotel suite. Mm -hmm. There's a two bedrooms in it. Okay. There's a master bathroom. Okay. I want you to imagine that he walks in or he goes to take a shower. He walks out, goes into the living room to change for reasons. And then a person he did not know was there was in the bedroom. The master bedroom? Or yeah. The other bedroom? No, his bedroom. So he walks past them. Or the door to the hotel room opens into the master bedroom. Or third option, this book fucking sucks. I think that's probably the one. Um, I have shut up about the fucking rat. Goddamn. <laughs> 
fuck off this shirt, burning bridges. This is where I stop uh, writing notes because I started running. Both hands met the air as she tossed them up. What is that? What? Both hands met the air as she tossed them up. That is the one, you told me about that when you, when you read it, and that is the line that really made me confident that this book did not undergo an editing process. He is, uh, oh, so he threw the $10,000 into the fire to minorly spite someone with yeah. cancer. Like he, No, do. but he's a good guy, though. Yeah, like people do. Uh, don't worry, other characters go out of their way to tell him what a good guy he is, so we can know. Good. I was really worried. So this is in reference to he's thinking about how maybe sort of kind of he shouldn't have done that. And he said, he narrates to himself, burning bridges seemed to be a habit of mine. I'd go as far as considering it a hobby if I didn't need those bridges to walk across. What? That's the point of the fucking phrase. Is that you've burnt that bridge. What's so the difference between a habit and a hobby? Now. I don't know. But either way, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, Yuck. This keeps going. Emery, he finds out Emery's working for him. And then he walks into a meeting and pretends he doesn't know her and takes her wallet out because he stole it during while they're in the elevator. But he's a good guy, don't worry. Uh, and he insults her in front of everybody. He's a good guy, don't worry. And he uh, belittles her, but he's a good guy, don't worry. Uh, and he makes her go to get a coffee for him and gives her the most complicated coffee order possible and takes the money out of her wallet. She's a starving, poor person that won't touch the trust fund, but he's a good guy, don't worry, uh, and sends her away. And here's another example of the thing that he sends her away and to go get coffee. Okay. And then he has, somebody moves from behind him to in front of him, apologizes for her odd dress and behavior. He says, I don't care. It's fine. Cause he always needs to be above it all. And then she comes back with the two coffees. Then she hands him a hot coffee, like hot black coffee, which is how I take it. He manages to narrate. By the way, he says, by the way, in the narration, thank you for reminding me you're a man who doesn't drink iced coffee. And she hands it to him and he fucking takes a pull of it, like scalding his mouth, knowing that she's giving him a smile like she had spit in it. So she ta he takes a big old pull, not letting her win while she sucks on his weird sugary coffee drink. And he burns the shit out of his mouth and doesn't react. And then she mouths the words, I spit in it. Yeah, we got that. The readers got that. And he continues to whatever, drink it. But he's a good guy, don't worry. Uh, and so then... And this is also totally normal pro-social adult behavior. Yeah. And then uh, they he keeps her behind and yells at her for, I don't want you to steal. And she's like, I'm not going to steal. I fucking hate you. And she, he says, I fucking hate you. And he's got a hard cock and she's got taut nipples. And it's awful and... He needs her out of there because she's too tempting. He's, she's jail bait. And so then she goes to the whatever and her gym's closed and she needs to take a shower. So she steals the penthouse key and goes up to his penthouse of all the rooms. In the, the hotel is under construction, but still like there's probably other showers you could use yeah. that aren't advancing the plot in this specific way. Yeah. And while she's showering, he enters Natch. Uh, and she doesn't hear him until she's scrubbing her hair with her eyes closed and opens them to find him right there while she's shouting. Super creepy! Uh, and so, very predatory. And so then, uh, this is where I cut off because fuck that. Uh, they have a conversation and he's he has the amazing strength of will not to look at her big, her pear-shaped titties with her, her puckered nipples. 
Gross. And so I, I pulled the ripcord before they are obviously going to have sex, but not before uh, she claims to know him. This is 35% of the way book through the book. Not before she claims to know him and he's going to set her straight about what he went through as a kid. And one of the things he went through as a kid was that in order to pay for his dad's heart medicine, he went into professional fights that the rich kids would bet on poor kids fighting in the fighting rings, and I threw this book away and died. No. I'm dead. No. Sometimes the rich kids bet on the wrong guy and threw a knife in. So he's got a knife scar. So my painkillers 50-50% addicted saw plot or all those dang fights... Cool. Still remains open. Um, At one point while reading this book, Mick asked me how much a new Kindle would cost because he was contemplating just throwing his across the room. We should see what the last page says. I think you're going to... Oh, I suppose you're skipping chapters, not just... It's not going that much faster. I'm at chapter 33 and I'm 53% of the way through the book. Oh, we get another time skip. Too many chapters, I think. We got another time skip. So maybe they didn't have sex. Uh, Finn Fugel. Oh, whoa. We got Parker S. Huntington. Oh, she. Okay. Sorry. I, I thought of Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, the book ends at 92% of the way through the book. Uncle Reed. Nash. Uh, so apparently it ends with them married and have kids so happy ending for these people who fucking hate each other and think that uh she killed his dad because she didn't tell people that her dad was embezzling which is a great thing to expect of a fucking 18 year old and playing decades long oh don't forget that he's also a criminal yeah very very good people i wish them all the happiness in the world this I'm book sorry, sucked. bud. That was a rough one. We should have known from the very beginning because it's called Devious Lies. Yeah. What kind of title is Devious Lies? All lies are devious. For a book that pretends it has a big vocabulary, that's a pretty stupid title. Yeah. It's a pretty stupid title. Ugh, we had to record this the day I, I stopped reading it because I needed to come into it hot. So I'm sorry <laughs> if I came in a little overly hot like Nash. You tell us some more things about this book while I go get our books for next oh, week yes. so we can talk about them. So this book, or these books were the last, uh, we have begun compiling a set of books. I have an Amazon list that is growing with every day because Amazon loves recommending me more terrible books. So I have BiblioVal next up that is growing. However, we have a friend currently living with us who we tasked with finding our next books. And while on a walk with Finn, uh, she found one of those little free libraries and has picked both of our next week's books. Uh, I cannot promise because I'm not her and I don't talk to, or she's not here to talk to, but I'm really going to try to get her to sit in and have to listen to our books. I think that's very important. I briefly thought about picking a third book and making her read one. She wouldn't have. But I don't think she would have. And also... I didn't want to make, I didn't want to entirely trap her into this weird thing that we do. My book that Lauren has picked for me is called The Cowboy's Easter Family Wish by Lois Richer. It's really great. It's like, what if Norman Rockwell uh, went to a rodeo once on the cover? Yeah. After a heartbreaking tragedy, youth pastor Jesse Parker stopped believing he had anything to offer kids. Uh, there's a widow with a young autistic son. Gotta be autistic in a book like this. I bet it's vaccines. There's a quilt shop. 
rescued puppies. I bet it's vaccines. And an Easter holiday surprise of renewed <gasps> faith and it's love. It's I bet. <laughs> Calling it now. Yes. The runt of the litter dies. They take oh, it to the vet no. and it comes back to life. Oh my god. Calling it. Oh my god. 100% calling oh, it. Oh no. All right. My... Oh god, I hope no dogs die. I can't Oh no, it doesn't stay there. Lazarus of... dog. Lazarus dog. La- Lapsarus? Mm, Lapsarus. Lapsarus, much yeah. better. Yeah. Never let it be said I don't acknowledge when <laughs> My book, you may notice a thread. It was apparently a very single focused little free library. It, yes, it did indeed have a theme. Uh, I think this proves that despite not uh, staying here for very long, Lauren has very much gotten to know what we hate uh, because I got the very worst missionary, a memoir or whatever. (laughs) Fucking great subtitle, Jamie Wright. (coughs) This book, as a quirky Jewish kid and promiscuous punk-ass teen, I gotta say, you've got me now, (laughs) Jamie Wright never imagines becoming a Christian, let alone a missionary. You've lost me. Uh, so it's, I'm a bad missionary. It's, I have a feeling that this is going to be a book length. You know, they really taught me as she's holding a black Haitian kid in her Tinder profile picture. That's what I think is going to happen. Or she's she's going to be holding a rescue puppy and say, I mean, really, when you think about it, like who rescued who? She has, uh, 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 either a raincoat or a denim shirt. In her About the Author profile, mm-hmm. she has long brown hair, and of course, she has bangs. Yeah. She has the biggest Christian bangs I've ever it's Christian seen. Christian Girl Autumn. <laughs> it was WAP Summer, <laughs> and now it's Mick Fall. We're just going to go through all the ethnic slurs. Oh, no. All the time, the oh, no. old ethnic slurs. I can say it. It's my name. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm sorry about the language. I hope a child wasn't in the room when I started talking about shooting cum onto someone's face. Uh, I wish uh, I hadn't been in the room when you started talking about that too. I really hope that someone for some reason came in then. (laughs) 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 Like every moment is the best moment to walk in unexpectedly on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dikima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Bibliovile. I'm at, on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Thank you so much for joining us. Good night, Charles. I'm your huckleberry.